Psychology in Seattle. Hey, deserving listeners. Today's episode is about anger and being a father. So it's about parenting in general and when our kids and families make us angry and about our emotional lives and also about just anger in general. What does anger mean? How do we manage it? What are we supposed to do with our anger? What what do we do when our anger compels us to do something that we regret later? How do we apologize? So the reason why I wanted to talk about this is because the Dad Challenge podcast had me back on their show. They've had me on their podcast before. And they wanted to talk about anger and being a father. And so we recorded an episode with them. And then uh, I, they sent me the audio, and I just thought I'd share that with you right now. So let's do that. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. And let's just go to that interview. All right, here we go. We've got a return guest, uh, one of our favorites. Dr. Kirk is back. Dr. Kirk, thanks for coming on again. Welcome back. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, how's things been going? Good. I uh, just yeah? got off work, so I'm looking forward to chatting with my three favorite dads. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we only got two We're today. We're missing one today. We fired one. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, then I'm out. Count me out. <laughs> no, the two best ones are Wait, here. Wait, who was on? Brent last? Brent was here oh, Brent last was, time. Yeah. He was, he was a, a, he was a guest. He was a guest that day. So, Dr. Kirk, what was the? Uh, did you get a huge boost of fans when you had it last time? <laughs> Absolutely huge. <laughs> the dad bump is what they call it. I, uh, uh, it's funny because I I used to live in a city about six hours north from here. It's the capital of Canada, Ottawa. And a guy messaged me, and he's like, "Dude, I swear I heard you on this podcast called C- uh, Psychology in Seattle." I'm like, "That is us." So you have like fans up north who don't listen to my podcast, who are my friends, but they listen to yours. <laughs> you got a far reach. <laughs> so shout out to Neil Jackman. We love you, bro, but you should be listening to our podcast. <laughs> That's funny. That was awesome. So, so I was going to say, the last time uh, you were on, it was it was actually really good for us. We we truly had some, uh, some good things come after it. So I think it's only fair that before we start, uh, is there any advice that we can give to you uh, to, be- <laughs> to like benefit we, we your life? We know things... Other stuff. <laughs> oh, Just a firefighting. Well, uh, okay, firefighting. What is the one thing that most people make a mistake about in preventing their house from burning down? Ooh, good one. Do not walk away from your cooking ever. Ah. I do that all the time. <laughs> a lot I think of I did that an hour I think ago. a lot of people do it, but it is not a smart move. Even if it's in the oven? Well, oven's a little different. Because it I can mean, contain a fire. Top. Yeah, people yeah, forget all the time. They put stuff on to boil and the the water goes out. They put stuff on to cook and go sit down and fall asleep. Wow. Lots of stuff happens. That's the number one cause of normal fires? I don't know. I think they would probably say electrical is the number one cause. That's pretty tough for you to, to yeah. determine. But I would say that it's uh, walking away from cooking is the number one preventable. preventable. Say. Well, there you go. Yeah. We and don't some. smoke. That's bad for you anyway. Don't smoke. All right, Dr. Kirk. Um, we're just going to get right into it because today's episode is really important to us. Jeff and I have been talking a lot lately about specifically being dads, but the anger that has been like, I mean, it's been there for a while, but now I'm just starting to really be like, okay, I got to figure this out. I really have to figure this out. And, um, I don't know. One of the questions I had was like, 
what role does anger play in uh, you know if dad or man's life and what good or bad is it is it good to be angry is it bad to be angry what are the what is like what could, what are the benefits and non-benefits of being angry yeah well so first off we just have to establish that all emotions are good uh okay because we can't live without them and they're very important to us we evolved them for a reason they're there for a reason it's what we do with them, right? That matters. That's what you tell your kids, right? It's it's okay yeah. that you're angry. It's okay that you're sad. It's just it's just what you're doing with with that emotion that I'm having a problem with. Okay. You know, we evolved an emotion uh, like anger for a reason. Like a simple example is, if you see if you see someone stealing your food, you perceive that, and then you have an emotion based on that perception, which is anger, and then that anger motivates you to do something. You stand up and take your food back, which is important to your survival and Mm -hmm. to fitting in in the crowd or something. You know, otherwise uh, you would just sit there and have no emotion and starve. So (laughs) that's why we evolved emotions, just like any other animal. Okay. And the way to look at anger is that it alerts us when our needs aren't being met. So like you're at your work and someone's getting paid more than you and they're doing the same work and you get angry about that because you need you need more money practically you need to be treated fairly mm-hmm. or you're at a restaurant and the waiter is taking forever and you're starting to get angry you're getting <laughs> ir- irritated by that that's because uh you need food and you, you got you got things to do it's it's bothersome that anger builds in you and motivates you to do something either to go fetch them or raise your hand and say garçon or get out of the (laughs) restaurant or something. Um, And when our kids aren't doing their homework, we get angry about that often because we we have a lot of needs involved in that. One, we have a need for them to be happy and we equate them doing well in school with them being happy later in life and maybe even just that school year because they will graduate that, that school year. Yep. We have a need to be respected, which is the bigger need of needing to be accepted and not not rejected. We have a we have a big need to avoid rejection by those around us because it's very important. We evolved. We're a social creature. And so we're, we're it's very important to us that other people don't reject us. Um, and when our children don't do their homework, it 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 can be rightfully perceived as a rejection of us as parents. We have a need for teachers and other people to not think that we're bad parents, which is also another rejection avoidance thing. It's like, well, if you don't do your homework, then the teacher's going to think you're uh, not a good student, which it's going to look bad on me. Um, yeah. We also need them to move out eventually. And if they're not <laughs> going to, to do their homework, then they're, they're never going to move out. And we need our free time back. So all of these needs are touched upon when we perceive our children not doing their homework and and we get angry so so anger is is always good it's just what we do with it right okay what's the bad part of anger that you would see that you'd say is like the detrimental part of anger like uh, to what point does it get to a level where you're like that's you can't that's stupid well it's bad or unhealthy when it's expressed or viewed in an in an unhealthy way in a unnatural way right uh, usually are almost always developed due to some complication when we're growing up. 
either mm-hmm. and there's two main categories one is is we either suppress our anger because we don't feel safe enough to express it or we're worried that we're going to get rejected if if we if we express it okay or or we're really afraid of our emotions and afraid of vulnerability and so we convert that um we convert feelings like hurt and fear into anger and then only express the anger instead of also expressing the hurt and the fear. Um, like with the kids, for example, hmm. you uh, have all those needs. But if the only thing we express as dads is anger, like um, you need to do your homework now kind of a thing. Right. Uh, okay. Or you're making me angry and you're not doing your homework. If that's all that we express, then that's all that the, that's all that they're going to receive. That's but true. Really, what's happening is the anger is in response to another emotion, which is these other needs. You know, I, I feel disrespected by you, which hurts my feelings. I feel worried that you're not going to be happy in the future. So I'm, I'm actually afraid right now, which makes me angry. And so okay. if you can know that about yourself and actually express it, people are much more likely to respond well to it. Whereas if you just bark at people, then they just consider you to be unfair and then they're hurt. And since you're modeling that being vulnerable is not health, not acceptable or something, then Mm -hmm. they'll come back at you with anger and they won't say, when you bark at me, it hurts my feelings. What they'll do is they'll say, fuck off, get out of my room. Can I swear on your podcast? I'm sorry. Uh, we, we'll just cut it out. But yeah, we try, we try to keep it clean. (laughs) Okay. We swear we cut it all out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's lots. Don't worry about it. Okay. Yeah, uh, no, I'm definitely a barker, and this is this sounds like my cycle, and and uh, the, uh, I know this is going to be another one that I'm going to listen to multiple times, and and uh, uh, I don't know, feel feel good and bad about things. Uh, okay, so the next question, Doctor Kirk, just along these same lines, like, so would there be a health risk involved with anger? Uh, social risk, I'm sure. I mean, I know that there's tons of YouTube videos of crazy people getting angry and losing their minds, and people think they're crazy, and that's why they watch it. And uh, how much of it, you, you sort of spoke on uh, the way that you're brought up, but is there any genetics to it as well? Or is it all just what we learn? Yeah, there are probably some dispositional genetic, so to speak, factors that play into our expression or sensitivity to things for sure. Some people with your own kids, you you could observe this, are just less uh, excitable. They're just more mellow and other kids are more excitable in general and maybe more prone to anger or something. So there's there's probably some genetic uh, elements, but in my experience, that pales in comparison to the way that we're raised in terms of our just general... um, attachment and general mistreatment or general love and attention we get. And also in our society, I mean, our society teaches us a tremendous amount about the uh, emotional lives that we're supposed to have and express and what we're supposed to see. You know, as men, we're taught that anger is fine. Mm-hmm. Aggression is, 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 well, generally we're taught in our society that all emotions are bad. But if you're going to have to resort to some emotional expression as a man, then anger is okay. You know, boxing and football and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, being big and asserting yourself and telling people off, you know, that's, that's manly. It's the manly emotion. Wow. Right. Right. Yeah. But all the other, other, other emotions are, are non-manly, you know, and so 
you learn that from children know this from like 18 months. They, you, you study infants and they will know that they're a boy and that they're supposed to do A, B, or C. You know what I mean? Wow. Anyways, that's incredible. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so I can't that- the exact cutoff and try 18 months might be a little early, but it's definitely by the age of like three or four. Is, is that the same if, uh, if there wouldn't be like a man present, like in, uh, you know, in a situation where it's a single mother and 18 month old boy, say? Absolutely. Because really? the mother has been socialized to see males and females in a particular way and will treat that child. And, you know, like wow. one example is, mm-hmm. is like the, you have a boy, a young boy who's two years old and the boy is angry and, and playing angrily with blocks or something. You know, the, the boy is like banging the blocks up and down. Well, the mother it being socialized is much more likely to let that one go and to, to allow more aggression with the blocks than if it were a female uh, child. Oh, interesting. And wow. so the child, the child just learns. It's just like, okay, here's the boundary of behavior that's okay. And, and we, di- we definitely – and even parents who are supremely aware, like there are scholars that are aware of gender in our society and they have kids and they study the kids. The kids still emerge with gender um, knowledge, so to speak, because it's just so – it's impossible to, to act from a place that doesn't express that cultural – internalization it's interesting because i have a four-year-old or sorry yeah what's weston's how old's weston four (laughs) i have my four-year-old weston is like he mirrors my passion emotion and anger and everly our daughter mirrors her mother who is literally very passive doesn't scream ever uh doesn't get angry very often um and everly is her mother and weston is literally a spitting you know representation of who i am like it's it's actually crazy. Right. So the theory goes is that one, genetically you're similar. Two, you he watched he very early on in life realized, oh, I'm a boy and my dad's a boy and my mom's a girl. So that's a that's a very and and what does that mean about who I am and what's acceptable? And then he gravitated toward your model of what it is to be a man. Uh three you treated him, the two of you, as parents, as if he was a boy, as yep. if he, you know, what and punished and reacted a little bit differently. And so on the flip side of this is when a young boy expresses pain or fear, like a real common thing with young children is they're afraid of something that, okay. you know, that you know is not actually dangerous, you know, like mm-hmm. – I don't know. They they want to um, walk across a bridge that you know there's just no way they're going to fall off, and they're standing there, and you're like, "Go, go, it's okay." Yep. Well, with with boys, we're much more likely to be stern with them and be like, "Hey, come on, go." Whereas if it's a girl, you're we're much more likely to be like, "Oh," and we're much more likely to go down to them and sort of take care of them in that fear because we see women as inherently more weak. And we see boys as inherently more strong, which is not true at the age of three. It's true. Wow. So when then all these this this movement towards uh, I'm not saying a ton of parents are doing it, but uh, I know even a few in my school are raising their kids genderless, and they're raising them without those um, I don't know ideologies, if you want to say it. But is there anything to be said for raising your child genderless? Yes and no. The 
broader issue is our kids, do they feel loved? Do they feel accepted for who they are? So if a, if, so those quote unquote raised genderless children are, uh, you know, they identify and it, as time will tell how they identify as being like the most masculine male they've ever seen in your town, mm-hmm. does their system of, of parenting allow for that expression, you know, um, or the opposite, you know, end of the spectrum that they want to be completely the most feminine, uh, you know, male that has ever been in the town or some mixture or something. So that the key mm-hmm. is, is flexibility. It's not about, um, you know, how, what sort of way you make your children be, because when you give that space for kids to explore their emotions or their gender, or however they want to identify, mm-hmm. then they're, then they're much more likely to pick an expression and a lifestyle that, that fits them. Cause then they're going to look to their own needs and, figure out what's best for them. That's, that's the key. I feel like sometimes a parent who raises their kids genderless might also just be doing the opposite thing where they think, or they'll say, okay, well, boys are generally this way. Like you're saying, you know, go across the bridge. What are you, a chicken? And instead they're going to raise them feminine. So they're not, there's no, I don't think there's no, I'm sorry. I don't think there's a, you know, a middle way. So if you're going to say, I'm going to raise my kids genderless, I think you're just going to, you're just going to do the opposite that you would do for a male to a male. I suppose if that's what they're doing, um, I, I would recommend that people try not to think too much about gender because with their children, because it clouds our ability to see people for who they are and for what's happening with them, particularly our children, hmm. uh, based on our programming, you know, like I've been mentioning. I mean, there's, there's, and this has been shown through empirical research. They'll observe families in the lab and they see this sort of stuff all the time. Um, even among parents that try to remain genderless, by the way. Wow, uh, that's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. So the key is, again, is to try to raise healthy kids and let them be whatever gender they want to be. You know? it, it would be more about treating them fairly rather than treating them the opposite of the gender norm, I guess. Yeah. I mean, yeah. There's, there's, there's inflexibilities and pigeonholing in both quote-unquote feminine and masculine right. uh, yeah. ideals. Uh, and we, we just should get rid of both of them really and just yeah. be like, okay, what does this human being need right now? You know, what's the best course of action with this human being right now? Mm-hmm. For sure. So you got any uh, insight on health risks? Um, maybe we need some scare tactics to, uh, stop being angry. Absolutely. Uh, men die earlier, you know, but, <laughs> uh, that's possibly one factor, uh, you know, uh, lots of physical problems, sleep, hypertension, obviously, uh, but also sleep and um, heart attack and stroke. You can gain weight. Uh, it's been associated through observation that when people have trouble with their anger expression that they'll gain weight. Um, migraines uh, and even erectile dysfunction can be a cause because when you're... That would be- Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say that that's uh, kind of a precursor to uh, heart-related problems anyways, which you've already touched on, right? So it would have to do with uh, like vascular health, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. When we're angry, we are stressed out. You know, our emotions are a physical reality. And and, uh, motion theory actually goes that our body – so we have a perception of the world and then our body has a reaction to that perception – and then our brain actually 
picks up on the fact that our body is having a reaction and interprets it as like, oh, I'm feeling anger right now. So by the time you know you're angry, your body has already been through a lot. And if if you're chronically in that state, you could imagine it taking a toll sure, on yeah. on your body. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the the weightless or uh, weight uh, gain uh, aspect of it, I actually find interesting. What's the mechanism on that? Is that well, uh, the research that I saw, they didn't really know. Maybe okay. some other people looked into it. It's just an association. I mean, it yeah. could be correlation, not causation. Okay, for sure. Um, things that lead to difficulties with anger could also lead to weight issues. But it makes sense to me. I mean, and maybe it helps to define anger problems. Again, it's when we suppress our anger and we right. don't express it or we only express it as opposed to talking about the bigger picture of our emotional state, whether it be hurt or fear, these kinds of things. And okay. when, when we avoid those things, then we're, it, we're chronically stressed out. <laughs> You know, to yeah. not express your hurt, to not express your fear, to not know you're feeling those things, to suppress all these things. I can tell you from my own personal experience that it doesn't feel good overall. And your body is just in a constant state of stress, which doesn't do good things for our body. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, I want to get into this, to the good stuff, because like if I'm sitting on your couch, I'm coming to you, I've got some major anger issues. Um, what like in your field when you got something? I was just going to say, specify, because Dr. Kirk's saying there's two types of anger issues. Yeah. One is suppressing. Yours would be the outward expressing. expressing. Yeah, expressing. So, yeah, I'm <laughs> sitting on your anger. couch. I come into your, and I'm like, I got, uh, you know, I blew up, and I'll give you a scenario, but um, what do you, how often do you deal with this? How many times will you see a patient that comes in and says, I got to figure this out? Or do, do a lot of men just ignore it and just let it be? A Lots of my clients are men, and a lot of them will have problems with anger not not everybody but yeah it's it's uh the the three fundamental emotions that i focus on that i'm always trying to see the world through is through three main emotions which is hurt and fear and anger okay and so since a lot of therapy the material is involved in some kind of emotion then I'm frequently at least conceptualizing something as anger, whether or not someone can actually identify it as such, you know, has to do with their ability to identify it, which can take time. But yeah, uh, finding yeah. the keys and the triggers. And, and so that leads me to then what are some methods for coping or dealing with or understanding better that you tell your patients or that, that help men who struggle with this? The first thing is to have self-compassion because as I said earlier, our society, and I assume Canada is, is a part of this, is we will shame people for having any emotion. So, especially adults, especially men. So it's just like, you know, uh, having any emotion seems like a weakness or like a scary thing or mm-hmm. like something needs to be avoided. So the first thing is self-compassion, just being like, okay, it's normal to have an emotion. It's okay that I'm angry. Okay. It's it's not going to ruin the world. Um, I don't necessarily know what to do with this anger, um, but I'm but I definitely feel angry right now, and I'm not going to judge myself about that. It's fine that I feel anger. Um, the other thing is is to understand your emotions better, 
to understand what they feel like and sort of understanding the degree. People often are able to identify when they're at an 8 or a 9 out of 10, but a lot of people have a hard time identifying when they're like a 3 or a 4. Okay. And Just that stewing yeah, because little you, bit of anger. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. And, that, and it's important to know what that feels like. It's important to know because there's a – like I said, emotions are a physical experience. And for a lot of us, particularly men, we have a real hard time uh, identifying that. You know, I'll ask people. It's like, okay, when you're, when you're at a three on the anger scale, what does that feel like? And you're just like, ah, I have no idea. And so it might take months to figure that out. And, you know, for them to be like, oh, I think what I feel is like this general energy in my chest – it doesn't really okay. rise to the level of like an eight, but I, so understanding your emotions, because if you don't understand it, you can't do anything about it. You're just reacting out of pure instinct or programming or something. And because by the time you get to an eight, you don't have any ability to control yourself, like to expect yeah. to control when, so anger management, I used to teach anger management classes. And the, the key is, is understanding the escalation of anger. There's no way you can control yourself once you get to an eight. That's that's just so to expect people to control themselves when they're at that level is unreasonable. Wow. But what you can do is not be an eight. <laughs> right. You can you can know when you're a three or a five and go like, I know what this feels like. I, I know what to do because I've done it a hundred times to bring me down the scale to back down to a two. Because okay. until I do that, I can't proceed because I'm going to be an eight eventually and I'm going to lose my mind and I'm going to do something I'm going to regret. So that's the key to anger management. Uh, wow. <laughs> okay. So now I'm just questioning myself in my own mind if, if I'm unaware of uh, uh, being at a three or four. But I have a scenario that, again, happened today. Last time it was the Fortnite battle before we talked to you, but tonight it was with uh, my other son. And I came home today. He was already home from school. And I was, I would not say that I was angry in the least. I was ready to come home, make some dinner, and uh, get to the evening. Uh, I walked in the house, and he said hi and and uh, asked me if I needed help with the groceries. And I kind of made a little joke, and uh, it was kind of hard for me to pass the groceries off. And I kind of flexed, and I said, does it look like I need help, like joking around? <laughs> and... Uh, then he was going to go downstairs, and I said, hey, buddy, I said, uh, what are you doing? He said he was going downstairs, and I said, okay, what are you up to? And he basically said he was going to go on his uh, laptop, and I asked if it was homework-related, and he said it wasn't. So I said, oh, why don't you come help me make dinner? And he responded with, uh, why do I have to help make dinner? I helped mom last night. I was at work last night, and he says he helped her. So I went from... <laughs> being what I thought was pretty happy to off the charts. I snapped. I was so mad, Dr. Kirk. And like, I did not, there was no three, there was no four. It was straight from zero to 10. <laughs> and I, I shouldn't say that. I should say that maybe the, it, the scale ramped up, but it ramped up so rapidly, like maybe a 15 second ramp. Like I said, what'd you say? And then he sort of repeated it and said something about fairness. And as soon as I heard the word fairness, because I'm usually the one that cooks dinner at our house. I just, like, I in my mind, I'm knowing he's not using the right scale of fairness, and I just snapped. Good. So you are well at telling a story. You're well at, at 
taking responsibility. You're not blaming anybody for this. This is, this is uh, a good sign. It means that you were raised well enough by your parents to uh, be able to sustain uh, such a discussion. That's great. Um, I commend your parents on that. And the, I, and I love how you said, well, that's a lie. It actually took about 15 seconds for it to ramp up because that's often the case. It's possible that you could have just gone from zero to, to 10 or zero to eight or something. I think it felt uh, like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It definitely feels like that. Uh, and so let me ask you, what were the needs that your anger was alerting you to? Well, I felt I, I definitely felt hurt at first with because I I felt like I handled the situation proper up to then. I said, "Hey, would you mind you know come help me with dinner?" And then, uh, so yeah, so I felt hurt, and then it was definitely the the fairness thing, uh, especially when he brought that up. Like I know what he means by fairness is he's comparing himself to his brother and sister. And I hadn't even had a chance to ask either of them for anything. He was just the one there. And then uh, I guess for me, it was more, I guess it was uh, uh, feeling underappreciated. Yeah. that's. I'm glad that you're uh, identifying that. I would imagine that anyone would feel that. And a lot of people have a, have trouble in your shoes, identifying that they'll be like, well, he needs to respect me, but that's not what you're saying. What you're saying, which is, you know, also probably in the mix there, but the main thing you're focusing on, which is probably the crux of it is that you felt hurt. You felt rejected. He was saying, I would rather, you know, play on my laptop than spend time with my dad who is working so hard. And he's also going to be cooking me dinner, by the way. Yeah. Um, Both those things came up while I was screaming. (laughs) <laughs> right. So that's the message that you're receiving from him. And that makes you feel hurt in the moment. Did you know you were hurt <sighs> in the moment? I think maybe part, I, I don't know. I, I don't think I identified it then. I definitely knew. I definitely did feel disrespected too, because I don't know. I, I, part of my mind would have gone to some other you know, men who he would hold in high regard. And I know if one of them asked him to drop everything to help do something, he would. Right. And I'm thinking too, like he counsels at counsels at a camp and the camp leaders he loves and he would do that. And I think Josh too, if Josh asked him to, to do something, he'd drop it in a second and do it. So yeah, I guess I felt a little. And mine's similar. I think that's, there's something to be said for, yeah, if Jeff asked Tyson to do something or I asked Tyson to do something like it's, he's listening to Jeff. (laughs) Isn't that the weirdest thing? Well, they don't feel as safe with these other people, one. Two, these other people don't have to live with them day in and day out. That's true, I mean, right? uh, you know, I, I'm guessing he had a long day and he's coming home and or whatever was happening and he wanted to relax. And again, this is just me interpreting. That. Now, if you were my client, we would go into full detail on you know, a lot of these issues, but for mm. the sake of the podcast, I'll just kind of race forward here a little bit sure, and make some, some guesses as to, uh, well, let me just ask you, what do you think the perception of your son was in that moment? You know, when you said, would you, you know, could you help me with dinner? How do you think he saw that? My, my guess is that he would perceive it as, yeah, he wanted to go and chill out. Because a lot of times that's what happens, and that was a little bit where my 
my anger came from. It's like most of the time I let you just go down there. Most of the time he's hanging out with a friend in the basement and I cook dinner and then his friend comes up and eats too, right? So but I kind how did he how did he see you asking him? Yeah, how how, s- um That's that's an interesting question. I I I wouldn't say that I stopped to think how is he perceiving this, but from what he said during our argument, it was that he 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 claimed to have had a conversation with my wife yesterday who must have mentioned, hey, we're, we kind of want you guys to help out a little more with dinners and stuff. And because he helped her yesterday, his perception was that basically his duty was done, is what I understand. I'm not sure if that's what he would say, but that's kind of what I got from what he was saying. Do you think he knew that you were asking him as a loving father who wanted to spend quality time with his son he, as a father who wanted to bond with his son do you think he saw the request in that way i i don't know i i it definitely didn't end that way because it it seemed more (laughs) like an angry person who just wanted him to do something but um wow i like like for example if your uncle or your father were was dying and you had to go to the hospital and your son knew about that and you asked him, you said, hey, could you not go on your laptop and could you come with me to the hospital because, you know, grandpa's dying. Your son would know, oh, this is important, you know, this and I'm sort of exaggerating it to yeah. some extent. Um, you wouldn't have to tell him. You wouldn't have to say this is meaningful to me, you know, and th- it'll be it really hurt my feelings if you don't come with me to the hospital. You right. don't have to say that. He just knows. Asking him to make dinner, I can almost guarantee you he interpreted that as a chore, that you're just like telling him what to do and has nothing to do with him bonding with you, is my guess, and sees it as like, oh, this is another thing where I'm just supposed to like be responsible and like not be on my (laughs) screens as much. Like my parents are constantly getting in my way. And the only reason why my dad's asking, my dad doesn't want to spend time with me. He's just trying to prevent me from being on a screen. That's that's all he's doing. Yep. And so, you know, screw him. I don't want to. (laughs) I already did it yesterday, you know? Right. So if he knew, so in that moment, you have this opportunity, if you really know, especially before you ask, but even in the moment. So second five, you're at a four on the anger scale and you're at a, we'll just say for the sake of, you know, simplicity, you're also on the four of the hurt scale. And you know that about yourself. You know what that feels like in your body because hurt also has a different feel to it in our bodies. And then you're like, okay, son, hold on a second. I I just need to tell you something because I, I, I don't necessarily think you understand what I'm asking. <laughs> when I'm asking you to help me with dinner, I, I realize you probably think of it as a chore, but actually I, I just want to spend time with you. I feel like we don't spend a lot of time together and I, yeah. I want this kind of special moment. You, you can play you know, with your laptop. You can even bring your laptop up here if you want to just watch YouTube and cook with me. I don't care. Um, some kind, you know, you notice okay, I'm feeling hurt. How do I communicate what's really happening right now to my son so that he can respond to me in a way that I can get my needs met and therefore I won't have to get angry? Right. Yeah, I I definitely like that approach. But maybe I'm, am I a little misguided in the fact that I kind of also want him to know that when you're part of a community, which our, our household would be a small little community, right? Of people 
living together that you are also a contributing member of that family. Absolutely. Yeah. You would be a bad parent if you didn't think that. But why do you want him to realize that? Because I don't want him to be a dick when he, when he grows <laughs> and, up. And, and if he if he's a dick, um, then what would that mean for him? Like, what what's the emotion you feel when you think about him being a jerk to other people when he grows up? Yeah, a jerk to other people. It, it, well, I one I think this is probably selfish. It's it's kind of a reflection on you as a parent. Yeah. T- t- but two, it's also I I mean. I mean, as you get older, you work and see many people and you know people that are, are not nice and who are jerks and who are self-centered and who are, I think that's my biggest one. If it's the self-centered and arrogance, that's one that scares me because you see people that are like that and there's a difference between an arrogant person and a confident person, right? You don't want him to get yeah. punched in the face when he's older. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So I assume that you're worried for him. You're scared for him. And yeah. so you will e- express that as anger sometimes, right. which is natural to do. But we also have to be aware that the reason why we're angry is because we're afraid. And if you said that to him also in the moment, son, I'm angry at you right now only because I'm worried that you're developing into a self-centered person who doesn't help other people when they need help. And I think it would help to you to develop your character because uh, if you helped other people like your dad when you know when he's cooking your food, and uh, be, you know I'm, again I'm only doing this because I want you to not I want you to have a happy life and I'm worried that if you continue to do this, you're not going to have that. Right. Now, so for you, it helps us as fathers to understand what our emotions are so that we can actually communicate them. It also helps us to calm down because if we're just angry and completely unaware of our fear and our hurt, then that fear and that hurt is also an eight, by the way, Mm -hmm. is completely going unexpressed, unknown, and it just wreaks havoc in our psyches and in our bodies. Um, so yeah. just acknowledging it in your head, it's like, oh, I think I'm, I think I'm worried. I think I'm hurt. Right there alone, that brings your number down a few points. Just right there, um, and then you can address it. You can just be like, okay, how do I say this? I'm going to say it in an angry way because I'm angry, <laughs> but <laughs> but I'm going to I'm going to say it. You know, I'm going to get it out there. I'm not going to stuff it. I'm not going to avoid it. And then other people can interpret your anger accurately, you know, instead of my dad just hates me having fun because that's what my dad does. It's, oh, my dad cares about me, which leads him to be worried about me, which leads him to sometimes being hurt by me, not spending time with him. That's why he gets angry. And that goodwill, you know, it just, it all feeds off each other. He's much more likely next time uh, if you, you know, rinse and repeat this, when you ask him mm. to do something, he's just much more likely to want to do it because he likes to spend time with you. You know what I mean? In your experience, so, um, some a man like Jeff and I who experience anger to this level, how long does it take to get to a place um, practice-wise till you can actually do that? So I always think about when I was training as a kid in different sports that when we would do conditioning – it was all. It wasn't about in the moment. Not when you're running, sprinting. It's not about not 
huffing and puffing because your your body needs oxygen and so when you do a wind sprint you're huffing and puffing that's that's healthy it's normal that's your body's normal physiological response the key is is how long it takes to recover okay so it, if i'm out of shape and i do a bunch of wind sprints one i'm so exhausted i can't do any more and three and two like i'm exhausted for like a week i'm like sore you right know? Yep. but if i'm doing it all the time i'm huffing and puffing but i can very quickly give me a couple of minutes i can i can do more wind sprints and the next day i can do even more so the key is when it comes to these kinds of things is your recovery time so there's nothing wrong with freaking out in the moment that's just normal just, you can't really do anything about that but what you can do is shorten the time between the freak out and the recovery. So right now for you, Jeff, you're like, okay, I think I'm seeing stuff, something right now. Well, however long it took between the uh, last night, was it between now? It's just like, okay, it's 24 hours. So now the point is what do you need to do? What kind of systems do you have to have in place so that that becomes 20 hours or 16 hours or one hour or, you know, five minutes or one minute or something. And then you get to a point where you can recover within like like in that 15 second span that you had um, and then 15 more seconds of getting angry and then he runs downstairs and then like 30 seconds later, you're like, oh, okay, I figured it all out. I've recovered. I go downstairs. Hey, so I'm sorry. I freaked out. Um, this is what was happening. It really mean a lot to me if you help me with dinner because I, I feel like I want to bond with you a little bit. So recovery so- looks like understanding why you got angry and then trying to – uh, like approach the person you were angry with and just talk about why you were angry. That's recovery. For sure. The, what I mean by recovery is your awareness and your ability to regulate. And then you're, and then that will guide you just naturally as a caring human being. Okay. Your ability internally to come back to a normal state and then yeah. deal with the aftermath. Well, that was tonight, wasn't it, Jeff? Yeah. And then how we, long did it take you guys to kind of just like, uh, you know, bro hug? Well, you know what? He actually, he went downstairs. I got my other son to help with dinner. And I he, once he went downstairs, I let it kind of go. I, I, what should I say? Uh, sorry. Sorry for That's rambling good. there. Okay. So he went downstairs and when he came back up for dinner, he actually apologized, which was kind of nice. And then, and then I did. So yeah, we were, we were okay. He, Yeah. So your your recovery time quotations is pretty short. Uh, I wouldn't say that. So actually, well, Doctor Kirk was talking about the recovery time. I said I it. <laughs> I was thinking I got to do a lot more wind sprints. Like it okay. seems like a, it seems like a mountain because sometimes, and 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 I actually had a little bit of an epiphany when you were saying that when you're when your hurt is at an eight. I think what I do just through talking to this, and I've never thought of this before, is I'll let the hurt sit there, and then. It that is the thing that's doing. It's not really the anger; it's that hurt. But then it turns into anger, yeah. especially the next time when something you know that maybe wouldn't cause so much anger happens. It's almost like that becomes the the fuel for it or something. Yeah, uh, it's great. Every once in a while, I come across a person like you that it, it, very little information clicks with them. <laughs> it makes my job very easy. <laughs> I think I, I think knew that actively, I could help you today. <laughs> yeah, I think actively, you know, even just because we have a podcast, a lot of our life experiences and things that happen, we're like, man, we got to, <laughs> Jeff and I will just talk about we this. We talk and about it's our him, therapy, yeah. right? And so, um, 
having a podcast, I think, helps us to be like, okay, well, how do we deal with this and how do we help others deal with it? And so we have, you know, awesome, you know, Dr. Kirk, come on and help us. But Are you trying to steal the steal my thunder? That's, I'm sorry. <laughs> but I mean, part of it is like you're talking about anger management. You teach a course on anger management. Can you talk to me a few th- about a few things that like what works? Uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, what is there anything that's kind of been changed over the last, let's say, twenty years? And what is the thing that you've noticed is like this is a total fail. Don't do that. Well, anything that works, people should do. And so I can't imagine thinking of anything that would just be like universally a bad idea. You know, some people counting to 10 works and some people it doesn't. So it's just a matter of finding what works for you. Um, You know, websites that provide these, you know, blanket advice to people doesn't make any sense because it might not work for an individual. But... But the general principle is the same, whether it's counting to 10 or taking a breath or just slowing down. That that's that seems to be a key element of being able to uh, manage one's anger responses is just like, OK, wait a second, <laughs> like con- like what's happening. But that depends on one's ability to know one's emotions to begin with. Right? OK, you, you, like because some people they're at an eight and they're just like, I'm normal right now. I'm not I'm not angry. <laughs> I'm fine. You know, I'm just being rational right now. And it's like, no, you're obviously distressed physically. And so, so some, so it begins with, and like I said, it begins. And before that, you have to actually have self-compassion enough and normalization enough around emotions to, to even accept the idea that you might even have emotions. And so that leads to awareness of emotions. And then that leads to the ability to regulate it. And certainly cognitive behavioral therapy is a good thing, but there are so many different things that can, I mean, we, we haven't even got into PTSD, for mm-hmm. example, Tra- trauma uh, it can have a lot of effects, including PTSD and, and other sorts of things that can be triggered in various different things that can cause extreme anger outbursts from people that can look very strange. Okay, let me and, let me stop you right there, because I, I want to tell you a little bit about my, my childhood. Um, now, I grew up <clears throat> in a very broken home. Um, my mom was, you know, alcoholic, drug, not like super, you know, drug, you know, it's probably just more of a hobbyist, I guess you'd say. But I grew up in a house where I was, uh, parents were divorced when I was 13. Like my stepfather was divorced and like I have all four of us kids have four separate dads. My mom would abandon us at times for like going on vacation for like three weeks when I was like 14 or 13. I think it was like there were moments in my life where I look back and I'm like, man, there's some crazy things that like any 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 of those things that would have happened if it was caught i would have been taken away from the home right part of the reason uh part of it is that my nep- my boys that live with me the adopted boys they this exact same thing so my sister is is a mirror image of my mom when my mom was her age and so they had the same kind of 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 trauma that happened when they were young could a lot of that be what's manifesting itself into my anger now and how do i like figure that ish out Right. So when, as, and I'm really sorry you went through that. It's really awful and unfair to you and a testament to you that you've managed to build a good life. So that's great. Mm -hmm. And I suppose to those who were there for you to some extent. Yeah, there was lots. Um, When we go through experiences like that, we're naturally very hurt and we're also very afraid. There's a lot of pain, obviously, and there's also a lot of fear. And 
especially if it's how old was she when she, so she was probably going through this even when you were quite young, right? Yeah, I'd say you know a part of it was just keep it. I'll try to give you like a real quick synopsis. I was born um, Hamilton. I didn't know my father. My mom raised my sister and myself until she was married when I was I want to say like seven, and then that father that stepfather did something terrible to my to my sister and ended up in jail like a lot of crap went down and then after that my whole my mom's whole life fell apart that's when the alcoholism took over man i i I witnessed my mom try to commit suicide like by jumping off a balcony like my mom every time drinking started i would literally physically be scared like i would literally that was the worst thing that could ever happen in my life was like when alcohol came around. So it's part of the reason I don't drink today. I think I don't touch that stuff. And I'm not saying I judge anybody who does that, but I just, I just, even to this day, there's no way I would ever touch something like that. Right. Um, or drugs or whatever. So a lot of that stuff that hit me when I was young, I'm looking back on it like, Holy crap, no kid should ever have to deal with it. But I do struggle with anger. And I'm wondering if PTSD could be part of that. Right. So PTSD could be the conceptualization of what you went through and it could just be what we what I call just general traumatic react, reactivity, which is more broad okay. and and much more common, honestly, because PTSD itself is actually kind of a rare condition. But anyway, so let's just say the trauma of going th- just that one thing of seeing your mom try to kill herself mm-hmm. would traumatize any child and be a thing that would you'd retain with you and be something that would. So, and then, you know, more globally ongoing growing up, the, again, the feeling of hurt being, uh, not being paid enough attention to you, that hurts our feelings. Mm-hmm. Uh, having our parents abandon us, that hurts our feelings. Being scared, as you say, it's like as soon as she started drinking, it's like, oh God, what's going to happen? Yeah. So just that, that chronic feeling of fear. And then it, it's associated with certain things like alcohol, for example. There's probably a, you know, thousands of other associations that you have with those emotions that are encoded in your brain, you know, maybe balconies for, I don't know, you know, just yeah. various different things. Tones of voice, for example, yeah. uh, you know, maybe your mom would get it would be a certain way just before she would leave. And all those things become encoded in your brain as things to avoid because those things are associated with so much emotional pain and, and fear. And so now as an adult, when anything resembles that at all, even if it's not rational to associate the two things, then all those emotions are going to come flooding back to you as if you were that young child again. Right. And what do we do when we have a flood of emotions? Well, we get angry. And so I'm guessing that's at least part of your issue. Yeah. Hmm. And is there a way to overcome the past or is it just recognizing that it's there and saying like this is part of me um accept it or is there a way i can say like i gotta just i gotta just drop this somehow and i gotta figure out how to get around it so that i'm not projecting that onto my kids the other day i my son he's just starting to really really come into his his own personality and talking clearly and and i was yelling for something i don't know what it was and he's never said this to me he's like daddy stop yelling and I'm like, everybody laughed, you giggled, and I stopped yelling, and I'm like, but it broke my heart because 
if I get into a, a fit of anger or rage or whatever in the house, like I, it could just be yelling at myself. And I do that a lot too, where I messed up and I call myself an idiot or I'm like, oh, you're such. My, my daughter will physical, has a physical response of putting her hands up near her ears. And that's for anything that's like loud or whatever that, that scares her. And she, do, she does that. And even my son telling me that stop yelling as a four year old, it really, it broke my heart because part of that was like, I have got to figure this out. I really have got to make sure that my kids don't turn out like that. Yeah. Well, one, as with your co-host there, you're a very wise, self-perceptive person, and that's a wonderful skill to have, a mat- very mature thing to to have for yourself. So that's great. Um, the other thing is is to try to take it easier on yourself. I don't know how much you're beating yourself up about it, but all of us make mistakes, and all, especially given the the traumas that you've been through we're going to have emotions. We're going to have reactivity and our kids are, are going to suffer from that. It's just, that's just the way that it is. We like to think that that's not true. And I think we talked about it last time we talked on the podcast that it's, it's not a matter of like not screwing up your kids. It's like, to what degree do we screw up our kids? Um, all of our kids need to go to therapy. They're, they're all going to need to go to therapy. I, I'm not going to run out of any clients anytime soon. You know You're I mean? banking on it. Yeah. So it, it's just a matter of course. And our, we have this thing in our society. It's just like, oh, that's disgraceful. It's like, no, it's like universal. It's just, it's just not possible. So I would try to let yourself off the hook on that. Now, you know, you want to change it. That's good. You, you know, we, we want to minimize the, the number of years they need to be in therapy about us. So, <laughs> Cost less. Um, yeah. So, so what do we, what do we do? Well, um, the three options you had, I like the first two. The the third is a very common one, which is you basically said, "Well, I just need to let it go" or something. That's not possible. So right. let's let's disregard that one. Um, the second one you said was accept it. I think that's a good idea. I'm just like, okay, this is a part of me. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can't. I shouldn't fight it all the time. I shouldn't avoid it. It's just okay. This is me. I'm going to react badly when my traumas are triggered. Okay. Um, and the first one is, 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 you know, what you want to really focus on, which is, I can't remember how you worded it, but you know, how, how do you take care of yourself during that whole thing? Now, part of it is what we've been talking about so far, which is in the moment things, uh, being aware, knowing what's happening. Like for you, the thing we would add in there is like, you would become aware of the sorts of things that the sorts of things that trigger you, mm-hmm. you'd become aware of what, what specific traumas are being triggered in you growing up. It helps you to kind of conceptualize, okay, you know, 10 minutes ago when I did that, I bet you anything, you know, my wife triggered a trauma for me because my mom, blah, 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 you know, a certain yep. tone of voice that my mom had. And so that helps you to understand yourself better and, and also detect things as they're happening. It's like, oh, I hear that tone of voice. I'm probably freaking out right now. Okay. You know, um, and also to tell other people around you, like, don't use that t- tone of voice because it, it actually reminds me of my mom. And so p- please, I know you're not, you don't mean to do this. It's not your fault. It's, you know, something wrong with that tone of voice. But for me, it completely f- just triggers me. So can you just use a different tactic, you mm-hmm. know, but anyway. Yeah. Um, but so that's all in the moment stuff that we can do, but the broader thing here is to heal. And we do that by a number of ways. And I'm guessing you've already done a lot of these things. Uh, one is, is, is to just have the best relationships we can have, the best secure relationships we can have, you know, with your family mm-hmm. that give you the sense that you're a lovable person 
that you're safe, that you're accepted, mm-hmm. that you're not going to get th- – because, you know, when you were young, there were times when you very likely believed that you were just going to be completely thrown away like a piece of garbage yep. and that you, you were going to be dead, you know, because no one was going to take care of you or whatever, you know, that, and that was a very real feeling and a very real evaluation to some extent. And as you have more and more experiences where people show to you over time that they're not going to do that to you, even when you make mistakes, then that heals you. It's like, okay. And that's what therapy is okay. in a very concentrated way. Is like, you know, I'm going to tell this therapist some very disgraceful things. And, you know, he or she lets me come back to talk to him every <laughs> week. Like, and, and doesn't say things like you're a, you know, POS or, yeah. you know, blah, blah, blah. And so, so through experience in relationships, we heal. Okay. And as we heal, we're less reactive. So I, I, I would just encourage you to continue doing that. Part of that also is interpreting the relationships in the best light possible. Like you know, for people with who are raised the way you do, sometimes they internalize this notion that they're actually not very lovable people. And they kind of have to like trick other people into liking them and loving them. And that can actually, that notion can actually hinder the healing process because all, all of their relationships tend to be viewed in a way that's actually not reality, which is, which is not that, the, the, that it's unconditional, you know? Wow. And so you want to make sure you really focus on that, you know, like with your wife, for example, uh, as she's taking care of you and not leaving you and, putting up with you and even expressing her own emotions and she needs you for this or that you interpret that as she loves me. She's not going to leave me because of me, not because I've tricked her, not because, um, she doesn't know the real me. Mm -hmm. She knows the real me. She's seen the real me and she still loves me. Yeah. So I need to really remember that because that's accurate. And two, it helps to accelerate the healing process because it, reprograms your brain to really understand that you're a lovable person. And then when your feelings are hurt by your family members, you have that stronger base to stand on and it won't fall out from underneath you in a way that, you know, the trauma sort of set you up to feel, you know? Yeah. You have confidence that you're, that you're, it's not, it's, it's not what you're thinking. It's not the, you're not thinking. A lot of times people will think the worst of something, but you have confidence saying, Hey, I'm comfortable with them expressing emotion or being this way because i know that they still love me right yeah, and i'm lovable yeah you know that's that's interesting for sure josh yeah i love you i love you man i love you Dr. Aww. Kirk. <laughs> Aww, i love you guys too um cool yeah just got a question so uh, talking about anger sometimes it can be justified as we talked and and we're going to deal with it but sometimes you hear about people uh you know dealing with it in in healthy outlets they'll call them so for instance i go to kickboxing i wouldn't say that i ever go to kickboxing angry i don't really think of myself as being angry when i'm there i do enjoy punching and hitting but i wouldn't say it's from an angry spot while i'm there but i do hear people saying that like is stuff like that okay or is there other healthy outlets or what's what does that look like well there's been mixed research about that as a quote-unquote healthy outlet for anger in the past, we used to believe that being aggressive, like punching your pillow, for example, would help mm-hmm. to dissipate some of your anger. But more recent research in the last 30 years or so has shown that 
doing that can actually make it worse. I was actually thinking wow. that. Wow. Like if you're punching yeah. out of anger, that's going to make you want to punch out of anger. Yeah. Well, did you ever used to do this as a kid? Go in your room and you're super pissed at your parents and scream into your pillow? <laughs> Probably. Was that right. just me? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So for some people that helps for sure, but for some people it actually isn't going to help because it it just sort of locks in that aggressive, angry, hostile mode and you can sort of become chronically that way. Wow. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But like I said, it, it really depends on the person, so it's hard to give strong advice. But other kinds of things are physical activity just in general, just going for a walk. For me, I if if I go for a walk by myself, it helps. Okay. If I go for a walk with other people, it doesn't necessarily help. For I don't know why. <laughs> but, but just walking and just getting that it's there's also a meditative aspect which i'm guessing you get out of kickboxing as well yeah, it's, yeah. You, you you get out of your head because you're you're doing this repetitive action so that's another thing people will do too is they'll play like a repetitive video game you know like minesweeper or something you know? <laughs> um or they'll <laughs> okay. i don't know play an instrument play the drums something that's if you get out of your head and into a process like or even just your breathing, like you can meditate and think about your breathing. It it gets you out of that rumination mode where you're you're thinking about thinking it. About it's it. ramping you up, which makes you think about it more. Which ramps you up, which makes you think about it more. And so, anything that gets you out of that cycle can, can generally help. When when you first said you go for a walk, what I was thinking when you said that was, oh, it must be for self-reflection. But you're actually saying, no, it's the opposite. It's to stop thinking. <laughs> right. Is, I just yeah. try to think about the my feet just going, you know, one in front of the other. Yeah. Huh. Taking in a deep breath. Because also a lot of our anger has to do with the, the house. <laughs> you know, 99.9% <laughs> of the time when you're angry, you're at home. Because sure. the, peop- the people are bothering they're hurting your feelings or they're freaking you out and so you get angry and so being outside of that context can sometimes just be all that you need to do and then you can come back and you're regulated and you can approach things more rationally that's cool that's really cool uh yeah i mean this morning i had a blow up and it's funny because we knew we were doing this podcast today and jeff and i both had and i it's actually been a while since i actually blew up i blew up this morning like and it was bad like it was it was just the, the. Sometimes it's just like I just can't stand. And I know we talked about this with our kids, the bond and the build. And when they say I don't know, they actually don't know. <laughs> but my kid just continues this. I don't know. <laughs> like it was just one of those days where I ended with just being like, "You're grounded for two weeks." The other one's grounded. Like everybody's grounded. I'm just like going around Oprah. You're grounded. You're grounded. Everybody's grounded at the house. And like I was just not happy. <laughs> um, but like when I do, when I do, when I do go overboard on my anger, I feel like I need to apologize to everybody (laughs) because everybody suffers, even though I'm directing at one or two people, right? Like, especially if it's a kid who's done something stupid. Um, it's hard to say sorry for me, right? Especially to a 12 year old or, you know, my 17 year old or my younger kids. But like, how do I get around that? How do you like, which, what's the process to be like, I, I, I was such a D bag today. I need to apologize. How do you like, what are some tips and tricks on how to like swallow your pride and apologize? Yeah, it's tough. It's a very vulnerable thing to do to apologize. You're you're not just apologizing, but you're also opening yourself up to being hurt again, which mm-hmm. is probably the original reason why you're angry to begin with. Yeah. And because when you apologize, it could be like, 
yeah, well, and another thing, you know, <laughs> or, or you always do this or that's see, true. It, it, it is your fault. You are a stupid person. I, you know, I don't need you in my life anymore. Get out of the house. You know, there's this hmm. baseline terror that we all feel about just being completely rejected. And there's this notion that if we admit faults or admit that we're flawed, that will be thrown to the wolves, which obviously doesn't make any rational sense, right? But we have that feeling. But so we have to tend to that feeling prior to apologizing, which is like, okay, it feels like I'm opening myself up for damage here. But I know that that's not likely to happen. And even if it does, I'll recover. It's it's okay. You know, worst case scenario, they say, they lay into me for another 10 minutes and it hurts my feelings mm-hmm. or worst case scenario, they walk away feeling like they won, you know, and that's not that bad. You know, there's a lot of worse things in life, like, <laughs> like letting someone walk around feeling like you're not sorry. That's much worse, you know? Right. Um, the other thing is, is to consider apologizing to be manly, to be a masculine thing. You know, for me, I've always sort of thought about what masculinity meant to me. I, I, you know, I was captain of the football team, um, humble brag, and I felt like a manly man. Do you know what I mean? I, I always yeah. felt like uh, I was treated that way, and I, I always just felt like I identified as a masculine man. But I, as a person who decided to become a therapist and b- became aware of his emotions, I was like, well, how do I reconcile that? Because I don't feel feminine when I'm being emotional. I don't, I don't feel non-masculine. I actually, I kind of feel like I'm more masculine now. Okay. And, and so that's just a perspective, you know, and certainly that can be framed in a masculine way. Like I'm man enough that I can apologize. You know, I'm strong enough that I can cry. Well, I'm man enough to admit when I'm wrong and know that everything is going to be okay, you know? And I think that probably the reason that you feel that way and that hopefully we can get to that is because when you talk about fear, you have to overcome a fear to be able to do that thing. So overcoming fears, I think... Is super manly. Is masculine. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So Let's go yeah. fight some bears. I'm not scared of bears. <laughs> and then cry about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's all right. Uh, that's awesome. Okay, so, you know... It's it's already we're like I can't believe we're in an hour already. Like it's I legit. could talk to you, Doctor yeah. Kirk, and that for manly like seven voice days straight. forever. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Kirk, okay, so we're coming to the end of this. Is there anything we kind of missed? Is there anything you wanted like just that we should know? Extras, inspiration that like, hey, you know, give us the Doctor Kirk special. Well, the thing I always say at the end of my podcast is take care of yourself because you deserve it, and I think this applies here. Is allow yourself to be angry because you deserve it. It's something that you deserve to have. It's not a bad thing. It's a wonderful, normal part of your life. And you deserve to have your anger and you deserve to have it be known to the world. It's just a matter of how you express it to people. It's really interesting because that's not what I would have ever thought. No, we got to work on expressing it though. (laughs) I think the expression is what he's saying. (laughs) Have the anger. Just don't be a D-bag about it. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay, well, Dr. Kirk, thank you so much for coming back on our show. And I hope, like, you know, we've got many other topics we'd love for you to t- chat with us on. And um, 
when we when we have Dr. Kirk on, it's like always a big episode. So I want you to make sure everybody's listening here is checking out Psychology in Seattle podcast because it's really, really, really good podcast. And he, you know, Dr. Kirk goes into this type of stuff, stuff with his co-hosts, and it's really, really good. So make sure that you are checking that out, subscribing, leaving a five star review. Yep, and a really good re- review, obviously, 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 we did. But uh, so thanks for coming on again. And um, you know, if we missed anything, I'm sure we'll. You know, we'll get it next we'll, time. We'll get it next time. <laughs> but uh, we've got a couple of topics in the future we'd love to talk to you about as well. But um, you know, we don't, don't we don't bug you too much. We don't want to become creepy and all that stuff. But uh, only Chris Pratt were creepy too. So yeah, that's right. No, you're worth it, man. It's fun. I mean, I, I get something out of it too. It's not a one way street. It it feels good to work this stuff out in my head. And and mm-hmm. as I'm saying it, you know, I'm sort of saying it to myself too. I I don't. I'm not perfect at this at all. So. It reminds yeah. me about my own emotions and how to express them and that I deserve it too, you know? Yeah, I think that's cool. what therapy is. One of the most important parts of therapy is just talking because a lot of times you're talking to yourself. I think I think a good therapist like you are probably gets us talking about something and they're like, oh, and you also you, – you actually help us to realize the thing that you're trying to get to. You're not just like do this. You're saying how does this work? And then you're all of a sudden your brain's like, oh, it's actually <laughs> – you're brilliant. You're amazing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> wow. That just made my night. It's awesome. You need to go get some In and Out Burger or whatever. <laughs> no, don't do that. I don't that's think bad you have you. that. Just a vegan. So he says that's bad. <laughs> that's cool. All right, Doctor Kirk. Thanks so much for coming on, and uh, we'll hopefully see you uh, talk to you soon again. Yeah, it's been fun. Thanks, man. Thank you.